Follies, with music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim and a book by James Goldman, inspired by a New York Times article about a gathering of former showgirls from the Ziegfeld Follies, as well as a photo of silent screen star Gloria Swanson standing in the ruins of the Roxy Theater, Follies opened at the Winter Garden Theater April 4th, 1971. The story is set in a crumbling Broadway theater scheduled for demolition, where the past performers of the Weissman Follies musical reviews that played in that theater between the world wars gather for one final farewell, along with their memories, their passions, and their ghosts, in one of the seminal creations in the career of Stephen Sondheim. With us today is Hollis Resnick, whose work in Chicago on Broadway national tours and regionally includes leading roles in Into the Woods, Sweeney Todd, A Little Night Music, and as Carlotta Campion in Follies at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, for which she received the 2011 Jeff Award. Multi-award winning director David H. Bell, whose credits include work in Chicago, on Broadway, at Carnegie Hall, the Kennedy Center, the National Theater, and London's West End, and who is currently the artistic director of the American Music Theater Project at Northwestern University. And Gary Griffin, one of today's most celebrated interpreters of the works of Stephen Sondheim worldwide, for which he has received the Jeff Award for his direction of putting it together Sunday in the Park with George, A Little Night Music, Pacific Overtures, Assassins, and that same Follies at Chicago Shakespeare Theater. Welcome everyone to the roundtable. Thank you for having us. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. So my first introduction to Follies was the, the, the celebrated concert, but the documentary of that concert. And what I feel was such a wonderful gift within that documentary was it made known that there was this other production, the original production, which was legendary and which was short-lived and needed to be remembered. And so it compelled me to uh, search it out and learn more. Uh, what was your first introductions to Follies? I saw the original uh, and I've seen probably every major subsequent production. Uh, I have never been um, hit harder by the emotional impact of a theater piece ever in my life. It is my single favorite uh, theater experience uh, that transcends all other theater experiences. 
Uh, and there was something so incredibly smart about the way Hal Prince and Michael Bennett co-directed the piece. Mm -hmm. and, and they were both after something slightly different, I think, out of the piece and the tension between what the co-directors the co were after uh, actually created a, a much stronger, stronger piece. A and it was uh, expensive to the point that it could not be produced today. At the time, it was $800,000 uh, for a production, which everyone thought was, um, you know, how, how, could, how could things ever cost more? Right. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait a year. The lover's heart contains a lover's secret, which only the beloved comprehends. Lovers are like lovebirds in devotion. If separated, they must swoon and die. To lovers' eyes, a lover's eyes are jewels, more radiant than the stars that light the sky. I also saw the London production. Uh, I saw the Broadway revival, both of them. Um, uh, probably my second favorite after the, uh, the original was Gary's production with Hollis. Oh. Uh, I thought it was such an extraordinary um, uh, adjustment. It's the same thing Gary did with Pacific Overtures, uh, which is defined a new way of seeing the show. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it is very hard in this day and age dealing with Sondheim to be reduced without being reductive. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what uh, Gary did and embraced and uh, Follies and particularly Hollis, your performance, they're just among uh, the best performances uh, I've seen in those roles. I thought Susan Moniz uh, also was breathtaking and uh, she blew me away. So I, I, I am very happy to say that I have seen all of the Productions. My college roommate was in the Carnegie Hall version, or or, or the the um, Lincoln Center version that you uh, referenced earlier. He was also in the original company of Sweeney Todd and in the original company of um, Sunday in the Park. So uh, I, I get a lot of interesting stories from him. But that experience and his working for him, it was working with Carol Burnett, was one of the seminal produ productions of his entire career. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. Gary, when did Follies first uh, come into your life? Well, you know, weirdly, I had this whole weird Sondheim uh, introduction through a production of Side by Side by Sondheim. It was in a summer stock company that did it. And there was I, suddenly, I was, it was like this huge survey course. In which I knew a couple of the shows, but a lot, there's a lot of Follies in Side by Side. And I became obsessed with what that show was. I bought the recording, found the, the, the um, 
fireside book of the show, tried to read it and figured out what it was. And it was, it, I, it was very hard to understand on the page. And then I, like you, my, my big leap into uh, the world was the Lincoln Center concert. And I also thought that the, it was this brilliant way the documentary almost became its own follies. It, 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 by watching, like watching the arrival of Barbara Cook, watching Lee Remick and those, those incredible people. Oh, Lee Remick. And, yeah, it was like drilling, you know. I had uh, so I then subsequently I've seen productions since, and um, I I've always just I, sort of like David says I've always been in awe of it, and in fascinated by that original creative that collaboration is what you're, the gift you get when you get to do the material. They left you a great show and have continued. I mean, there's been continued work on the show in some subtle ways, but. But I think, I think the Michael Bennett, uh, the, the fact that those two egos, and I mean that in the very best sense of the word, because I think ego is important, particularly trying to do something like that, that, that they were able to work together to realize that. There's no way they could have done it independently. No way under any traditional other version I can think of. And uh, so it's, you know, I've heard sometimes say that who's that woman is his favorite musical theater piece of choreography ever that Michael Bennett's ideas and the brilliance of that really has, you know, he hasn't written a lot of shows with dance in them. And uh, I think there's a reason for that. When you have the best, it's very hard to, to you know, to, um, to lean on dance to do storytelling. So it's quite an awesome, awesome show. It still is an awesome show to me. Awesome. Hollis, <laughs> awesome. when did... Uh... You first uh, discover this show. Uh, my my first introduction to Follies was when Alexis Smith won the Tony, right? She won the Tony, yeah. and I knew nothing about it. Um, and my other Sondheim experiences totally preceded Follies. And when Follies came around to Chicago, um, there was one other production that I I don't know if I saw or not. Um, but when uh, the CST idea came around, you know, I'm going to say this very honestly, I wasn't even initially called in. But I did finally get called in and I sang the song and Bob Mason during the audition process was feeding me some of the lyrics because there's a lot of lyrics to I'm still here. Um, but I think for me, what Gary did was to really show the beginnings of these people, their pains, their troubles, their um, missteps. And then you go into Sondheim's circus, what does he call it, pastiche, what is it called? Yes. And then to really show after that, that part is over, is just kind of done. You know, they, everybody goes back to the, oh my God. Yes, maybe, no, what's gonna happen? The unknown, the fear of the unknown in a way. Um, but for me, in terms of just Carlotta, um, the one thing I wanted to say about the role was uh, she is a bit separate from the other ladies. Uh, she left, she went to Hollywood, she did okay. She failed in many personal areas, but she comes back uh, to join her beginnings. And beginnings as an actor are, are very, very important. I remember my beginnings. And to rejoin that beginning is, 
was a huge strength for me. And then all of a sudden she gets to say, okay, wait a minute, guys, I'm not dead. And it's, it's just sort of kind of, it's just sort of brilliant. And I, I was so blessed to be part of it. Good times and bum times, I've seen them all and my dear, I'm still here. Plush velvet sometimes, sometimes just pretzels and beer, but I'm here. moment that this show comes in Sondheim's journey, um, you mentioned the word pastiche, and this is a very interesting piece in the sense that it has a lot of pastiche. He's speaking and, and drawing from uh, Irving Berlin and yeah. other writers of the past. Um, let's talk a little bit about that uniqueness of this piece in of the way Sondheim approached it in terms of uh, his... his uh, adjusting styles, musical styles, with, throughout the pr production itself. Well, it does show his mastery at, at various forms. Uh, where it fits in the oeuvre is that they actually started writing it actually before company. And uh, it was originally to re be produced by uh, David Merrick, I believe. Yes. David Merrick yeah. decided not to, and then it was picked up by Stuart Ostro, who went on to do Pippin. And, uh, and it was only late in the game that Hal Prince came on board and Hal chose to do um, at the Alvin company, an open company prior to this, but it was in work. And, you know, he had a bad rap sometimes for not being a composer. And in fact, if you read the reviews now, um, you know, people like uh, Clyde Barnes said, oh yes, the lyrics are wonderful, but too bad he, he doesn't well, know how to Well, Sondheim had just done Do I Hear a Waltz. Right. He said, I am, I am not doing another show unless I do everything. Right. And he was totally, he wasn't even nominated for the yeah. score of Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, even right. though the show itself won Best Musical. So he, he has a, a weird kind of reputation. And what I love about the pastiche is I think he demonstrates an absolute mastery of how to channel the works of people like uh, Victor Herbert or Jerome Kern or Gershwin, and still, in spite of that, not lose his own voice. It is a thing that I think is to be um, applauded as one of the great triumphs of music theater writing, when in fact he is so often diminished as simply cashing in on some kind of nostalgia. And nothing that he ever writes is as simple as nostalgia in Follies. Everything is covered with both the event of the past and the memory of it. So you have a distance between how it might have really sounded and the memory of it at the same time, which is an extraordinary thing to witness. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, the first thing he wrote was One More Kiss. And I think that's amazing to look at 
because he's actually, and I, I had just done the new moon a few years before that. It's actually referencing a song from the new moon, which is a very wistful piece about love. And then he took that, he out Hammersteined, Hammerstein and took that, that idea that looks, feels like operetta. And he, it's given to the oldest character in the piece who was, who was in, the land, in the time of operetta that would have been, that would have been the style of song she performed. But that song is the most haunting thing to, I, I, I never get sick of hearing it. Every night when I would listen to it, what she's talking, the way she's talking about death and uh, a perspective about the, the, the frivolity of what most people, what, 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 we, what people spend their lives being concerned about. And this perspective she has, I think that he started there with this score. Like it's really telling, because it's probably the, I would think one of the hardest things to try to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And that, um, and then the, and I think that you can, one of the things about follies, and sometimes it's true of other sometimes, you know, you can, you're perfectly free to enjoy it on a superficial level. And it will be an, it will be an entertaining evening. You don't have to go into the subterranean world. He kind of offers you this, you know, other evening, which can be, oh, lovely, I love those songs. And they sound like songs I used to love, you know, things like that. And there's some laughter behavior, but if you're willing to take and go, go with him, Wow, that is, um, as David said, I, I have the same reaction to it that I, I, I just can't get over the ambition of it. And, um, the I can't either. And, but, but how many people are willing to go on that journey? That's what I, my experience with other Sondheims have been, is like, are you just going to sit here and enjoy Into the Woods, da -da 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 whatever, or I'm still here? Uh, really, are, you, you really have to be willing to engage. and dig deep into that oh. part of yourself to go on that journey because that's what his intention is. It's not just circus, we're gonna j bounce around and do, that's, that's not him at all. Yes. You have to be willing to engage and go along with it. And I, you know, a lot of actors sometimes, you know, will just be in the general area. You gotta dig deep, sorry, gotta dig deep. Yeah. Well, you know, the perfectly example is your song. I mean, the original, Vonda Carlo was 49. Yeah. She played that role and sung that song. And that song has become, I think, largely through Stritch. Yes. The anthem of survival that has to do with a long life. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's really not what he was writing about. He's writing about someone who is in the middle of their life and has already been through all of that and has come and she claims all of it. Yes. And you know, there's nobody there, everybody's there having trouble claiming even the slightest bit of their life. Mm -hmm. And this woman walks, steps up, and first of all tells, I love the lead-in when she tells the story of failing at her chance at a solo. Mm -hmm. And now she's going to succeed beyond measure at a solo in this event. I mean, it is one of the most astonishing things to watch. And I remember every night when you would start to tell that to Nussbaum, which was a great gift to our show. Well, that was brilliant. You know, and, uh, that 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 sit, sitting there talking to Mike Nussbaum couldn't have been a, a dream. It was a dream come true. Well, and that's some of the interesting thing you have to when you talk about the casting process. He was the first person that I cast because I knew Dimitri Wiseman had to be. A, a, he had to have an authority that would I could believe this guy 
actually ran a Follies mm -hmm. and had and he, in Chicago we have a certain connection to Mike. But that's when we started. We cast the show very over over the hills and <laughs> through the dough. It was casted because we were trying to find what felt, you know, and then when we cast um, Amy and Dennis, mm -hmm. and they had played Phyllis and Ben, you know, so there was a there was so much of our own kind of history that was woven into um, the world. So um, it, that, but that I think I'm still here is the apex of the show. It really does build to that and that moment, and I think I understood it better, you know, with certainly the genius of what you did and watching everyone at the end of it and see some people look so hollow and the characters who had, they had not experienced a triumph. They had suddenly realized how they hadn't triumphed. It was very haunting. Um, and I think that, 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 that where you go after that, someone has stepped up and said that. What happens now? Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And that's what I think what was so brilliant about what you did with the show after the pastiche in act two is when everything just sort of drops and they ask that same question. Okay, wh what do I do now? Where does it go now? I mean, that, that's, I, I think that was so, so Sondheim's intention just to say, well, what happens now? And we all do that as human beings. I think he understands that so intrinsically in his art, uh, totally. And, um, I mean, I've had dinner with him twice. I've talked to him, you know, we've, he came to see Follies and, uh, but I think that's what he un understands in his heart. And the piece itself, I mean, coming in 1971 mm -hmm. is also in some ways, the conclusion of an era of Sondheim being that writer standing on the shoulders, as David is saying, of Kern, of Rodgers and Hammerstein, of and coming in with his own contemporaries of Kander and Ebb and Cy Coleman. And this was sort of the conclusion to some degree, does it not feel to you, of the end of an era, of the golden age. I don't need a lot. Tube of grease paint on a follow spot. I'm just a Broadway baby. Slaving at the five and ten. Cash! Waiting for that great day when I'll be in a show. Broadway baby. Making rounds all afternoon. Eating at a greasy spoon to savor my show. My tiny flat, there's just my cat, a bed in a chair, still, I'll stick a killer monobill, all over Times Square, New York and Now we had Hair and Jesus Christ Superstar and 
Godspell and that other kind of 70s music theater mm-hmm. now well, launching into the scene. Mm-hmm. Well, Frank Rich wrote an amazing piece about it. And basically, he talks about did they have what they've done just stage their own funeral? Is that what this, what Follies is? Is this their funeral? I think a lot about the whole matter of marriage um, and the show looking at marriage in the context of the American dream. Because the Sondheim it was, and company, they were writing these shows, very different shows, but very much in, in uh, tandem. And marriage, if you start to think about how much marriage was being explored in, in plays, in yes. films, in films yes. in the 70s, there's so much about marriage. Yes. Also, um, I know this from actually hearing George Firth talk a little about company. He said that Hal, was, Hal Prince was very influenced by Fellini. And he was um, one of the reasons both shows, there's such economy in the book and why he kept taking away book to the point where people had felt too much. But almost all of those moments were handled visually. So they were there. They just, you, you didn't know what they were, but they, they, it was how did something visually that if you don't have that thing, it can feel empty there. But it was, um, but marriage and Fellini certainly, his films deal with that relationships. And I think it was, it was a highly sophisticated idea to look at, at marriage and the, particularly the central two marriages and I think the, um, the, the Ben and Phyllis relationship has so much, many echoes of Virginia Woolf. And yeah, even the end, you know, the end is very much to me about, you know, are you, you know, I'm afraid, George. I'm, you know, that's very simple, eloquent way. And I think it was a highly, highly ambitious uh, idea. And also from what I heard, I don't want to get gossipy here, but that original group of collaborators were all dealing with their own issues of relationship oh, at really? that time. And so, yeah, um, Bobby Goldman told, uh, Jim Goldman's widow, told me a little bit about, she was around during that time, and she said, you know, that they were all, everybody was, she actually said to me once, she said, never do follies, your life will fall apart. And uh, I had to wait to listen to her, but it was interesting, but she was talking about how many times when the show was done, that's what happens, people end up, their marriages dissolve, break up. They end up in 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 bad situations because it starts to, you know, you're, it's a show that definitely asserts itself on you. Yes, yes. You start to realize the unraveling, I think, of, yeah. what, of what can happen in a relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. I also think anytime you have a moment where you have an intense dialogue with your own past, it is bound to bring up everything that you're not only afraid of now, but that you've ever been afraid of. Mm-hmm. What, what do you deem successful? What is a successfully lived life? What are the uh, accomplishments that you want to look at when you're 50 that you thought you were going to achieve <laughs> when you were 25? Or, or no, 65. The, yeah, or, or the thought of all of the things that you'll never achieve. All, all of those things are really, really difficult questions. Mm-hmm. And Sondheim makes them even richer, more difficult, totally. more complex, uh, because he looks at that in the face. And although the metaphor is the marriage, the marriage is a representative of everything that people once thought they could get what success could look like and how bleak it currently is. And the question, is there a future? Is there a next step? And I I think Carlotta gives us a glimpse into the fact that those who are indeed successful in in life are those who are still looking to whatever's next, whatever it is. 
you know, who's, who, those of us who are still here are those to be applauded. Well said, yes. Well, said. Yeah. well I, I'm out to, I mean, to the point, I mean, the, the basics of it, of, of looking at this as a subject matter for a musical coming out of an era that really was still reflective of what a Broadway musical is, that it's Guys and Dolls or The Music Man or, or something that, that um, you know, could, could have depth. But how shocking it must have felt to adults familiar with going to theater and to music theater in the early 70s to be confronted with this. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it, for the time, everyone has kind of lambasted the, the book for having no plot, when in fact, in, in a strange way, it is the first real immersive musical in that uh, what they succeeded so well doing several years later with Chorus Line is you are at an event, you are at a reunion, and the reunion carries the power of itself. A yes. ton of things happen. There's a lot of plot, but it all happens in a very limited sense of time and place. And that limited sense of time and place, I think, uh, ennobles it. It opens up the scale. Uh, and. Uh, I, I think it is brilliant. And as you said, I, I don't think it's simply an end of an era. I think it is a crossroads. He, he plays an homage to the era that's ending while he's blazing a trail to the era that is the Sondheim generation. And the next 40 years are influenced by this true American genius. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree. Well said. The, what else? Uh, <laughs> the the level of of theatricality that's here obviously you know goldman is is to be commended too in terms of of how this was put together um wh what do you feel uh are the the divisions if any of that collaboration in terms of what his influence is on it versus sondheim does one of the two of these collaborators dominate this piece? Oh, yes, Sondheim, definitely. And Prince, actually. I find it much more of a Sondheim and Prince collaboration. Yeah. And what I love about Goldman is he didn't get in the way of that collaboration. Yeah. And it started as a murder mystery. So it started as a very different story altogether. And for the collaborative team to have the courage to realize the it of it, the event of it, was far more compelling than the story of it. Mm -hmm. The story would have been hackneyed uh, yeah. and not enduring. The event, the event yeah. we will carry that event uh, for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. And I, well, I think the canvas of it, I agree, David, I think that, I think there was, a, it started with Goldman and then Sondheim who it, it jumped on board. But I do think Prince was really the engine of the vastness of it. And I think that, you know, and also to give him the, the credit to Boris Aronson and that design and the original Broadway design, which I think how, you know, also direct, he does, he, you know, he's claimed that he directed from the design, that also opened doors to what it was. I, I think one of the things that I find interesting about Jim Goldman, he wrote um, some, his major play was Lion in Winter, yeah. which is a very um, posh in terms of language, heightened. And Follies, when it started, 
um, had some of that, had you cleave my heart, and there was a lot yeah, of- Yeah, it was more florid, yeah. And, and over time, both he and then his widow got rid of that only when she said, look, I hear the writing. And I thought that was very, I was very surprised that, that she protected the show, didn't want her husband to show, to, to come off, you know, in the sense of, uh, well, he's the, you know, he's showing off here. But he was an extremely literate writer, and they also had collaborated on that Evening Primrose, you know, that TV thing. Mm -hmm. Very bizarre, ex very highly experimental musical. You could see where Sondheim went, well, I have a fellow spirit here. There's someone here I could do something really extraordinary. But I think it, it did, it, and then I think it started, then, then Bennett, brought sizzle and sex and life that uh, worked, I think, were hallmarks of, of company, really, in some ways. Company was, I think, a cooler uh, and a little drier show than Follies ended up being. And I think, and even though Bennett worked on that, Bennett, you know, ran with this thing. And the, the bolero and the, you know, the, um, the tango, the things that he brought to the show and, and uh, was able to fold into that concept, I think it's just... I, I would, you know, uh, Ted Chapin's book about the show, um, Everything Is Possible, is a great uh, documentary for everybody who, oh, right, 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 he right. was a gopher on the show and he had, he had, an, he had a, a bird's eye view to what was going on, but it really does make you wish, I would have given anything to then Ted Chapin on that, oh, to yeah. watch that happen. point of fellow spirits of course there's the overlying concept of the past and the presence the young people being present and they're the ghosts of them in the present what what an what a an amazing engine and a device to hang the ability to have more than just as as david is mentioning a, an evening that takes place over the course of you know a three-hour party yeah. but is able to rocket us back to the early teens in some cases with the ghosts of these yeah, people. Yeah, that, that's one of the uh, other things that I just love about the show is the idea of the ghosts and just the, you know, the, the inner, inner connection, inner back and forth with the ghosts. Uh, I, I, I love that, that how, how can someone, how can an audience member, <clears throat> excuse me, not be uh, connected to that? We all think about those ghosts uh where we were uh, uh, and i think gary did that just beautifully just mm -hmm. beautifully the thing that was exciting when their memories you know we see them as parts of flashback there's something but i always found that then when they finally turn and confront their younger self directly 
that thing which concretes the cacophony that leads into Loveland is so I, I, that I, that's you know, sorry, creative balls to to put something up that you go, I'm going to build this to the point where this can happen. Because yeah. why could that be trite and cliched and awful? Well, I'm going to confront my younger self. Yeah. And you have to build something you can earn that. found that the most gut-wrenching thing to watch especially to, to your point David I used to watch Susan do it and think oh that's just hurts beyond measure because of someone who is that emotionally volatile and has reached the point where she's there's really something I, I that but the idea of that in the writing and the bravery and uh, there's a story you saw the London production which I'm always curious about Sondheim had this quote where he said uh, he stood in the back of the theater um, and uh, in, the, in the original production and said, God, I love this. Why does everyone hate it? And he went <laughs> to London and said, I hate it. everyone love it? It was a very different production and, and it showed you really what Howe and Michael brought to the production that it was not present in London. Uh, what what managed they managed to do in the original Broadway show is create a, an amazing sense of the now. So they didn't allow anything to become either sentimental or nostalgic. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't about simply looking fondly at what, uh, what your youth. It was about confronting your youth and finding that thing that confounded you about the journey you were going to take in your life mm -hmm. at the end of your life. Mm -hmm. The thing that I felt was ironic and brilliant was the person who was really responsible for making the life of the ghost world come alive was Michael Bennett. And he brought all liveliness, pizzazz, energy, uh, spirit to that. So it never felt passive. It was never a passive voice. Where, where Hal clearly was the one who exhumed the remnants of the past that we carry inside ourselves. So he was dealing with the internal uh, ghost of your past, where Michael was dealing with the external ghost of the past. And the mix of those two agenda was a revelation. I've never had an experience. Can I, can I speak like on that just for one second, just um, from an actor's point of view, because of, <clears throat> excuse me, who's that woman? Uh, the way it was staged in our production was, you know, we had to dance opposite our old selves, our ghost selves. And for me as an actor, um, I don't know how it worked for the other ladies, but I had to confront just dancing with who I was and yes, finding joy, trying to remember the steps externally, but internally seeing that, remembering that. That, that, was, that was a real journey and a test for me in that, in that particular number. Um, so I just wanted to throw that in there, but that's, that's, to your, that's definitely to your well, point. And what, yeah, what was so cool about that number that I learned watching while Nancy started and then how it, is that, that number when you sing that at 22, what does it mean when you sing it at 44 or 60, right. you know? That number has, it's like that brilliant thing Sondheim has done like that, you know, it, you'll get to Gypsy in days, what he did with Let Me Entertain You, a brilliant way. Yeah. That I, had to, I had to approach that every night with certain levels of 
here I am 22, here I am here, here. I had to, I had to internalize that every night as an actor. I always thought it was in the body, again, the Michael Bennett thing that he had, by inhabiting the number, the dance forces you to inhabit it. You don't just stand and sing. You have to, you guys had to get in there and actually, and, 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 and be challenged to recreate yeah. it. That act, and we, I remember watching you guys and thinking, especially because I also watched the number built, I thought, this is really difficult to ask these people to do. But it kept getting- In high heels. Where, what, sorry? In what high heels. High heels, yes. And, and also a challenge moment. It, you got to be sure, one of the things that was interesting to me was I began to be careful that it didn't feel like it was inevitable. Exactly. Someone brought it up, you know, and then somebody else, it wasn't like, oh, we're just going to do this. This is going to... This is going to cost if we're going to go. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you something. That's what I was talking about as an actor. What is this going to cost me in this number to go through this journey, doing the number first with everybody, and then you go into your own world with your old self? What is this going to cost me? That's what I, that's what I had to think about every single night. <clears throat> sure, yeah. And what a gift for the performers in any Sondheim piece, any Sondheim piece, you know that it is over the duration of the run of the play, you get to get back up and take a whack at it. You're not probably going to figure this out within week two of the no. run. No, you know? it's he gives you so much that that it is truly an evolution as a show goes on. And then, as David is even pointing out, from production to production, what each production observes from or gleans from a previous production and attempts to um, modify. Uh, certainly, and Gary, you're talking about that very same thing of how much you came knowing about previous whacks at it by other directors and then what you attempted to do. Well, you know, I think with all of his shows, you know, um, first of all, I never thought I certainly have ever nailed a Sondheim show. I, there's maybe a high, have. <laughs> there's maybe a high percentage of, of achievement, but I can all, but, but that's part of what's great about it is you can't. And I think what, I remember Bernadette Peters talking about why she wanted to do Into the Woods. People were surprised. She said, because I know I won't get it. I'll have to go back tomorrow and try again. I won't get bored. I, it's going to demand a lot of me for this time. And I think his work does that. I watched uh, an, an archival of the show about six months ago. It's the first time I'd watched it since we did it. It was quite an experience because when we were doing it, it was just so... Um, wonderfully demanding, the component parts, everything. I didn't um, really get to sit back ever. And, uh, and I had to leave. The day after we opened, I had to leave to do a workshop. So I didn't see the show again until right before he came. And then I was getting ready for his appearance and we were closing. So it was the first time that I really looked at what we did with any, um, any I wouldn't say objectivity, just perspective. Mm -hmm. And uh, some things I was surprised. I went, wow, we did that. But, um, but it, 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 the, the demand of the show is, um, I, you know, I thought it was hugely uh, audacious to say you're even gonna try. We tried to do a show that made sense for Chicago Shakes.
So here's the question. If you were to uh, describe Follies to somebody who's never seen it, they're going to go in and see a production for the very first time. How would you describe what they were going to experience? Hollis. Uh, I would describe it initially as a play of memory, hardship, joy, fantasy, and reality. I, I don't know. Does that make sense? Wonderful. Uh, yes, it does. That's how I kind right. of... Yeah. Right. Make David? sense? Uh, for me, it's probably the best metaphor of uh, American music theater representing the loss of the American dream with Ooh. a total connection and reflection on what we have lost individually uh, and where our ambitions collide with what we ultimately get to achieve. Exactly. I, yes. So you, you say all this stuff so much better than I do. You do. That's beautiful, David. Gary, I love that. That's perfect, David. I'll, I'll steal that someday. <laughs> um, um, no, it is. It's brilliant. I think I, I, would, I would want to, and, and this, Satan, this would drive Satan crazy, but I would want to reassure someone that, um, that they have everything within them to receive follies. It's not, it, it can look daunting, but the songs, the, you know, that allow follies to happen to you. It will, it will, it may take a while before you feel you've landed in it, but just allow yourself to take it in as long as you can. It's a lot of atmosphere. Yes. And, and that's what they work yes. to achieve. And, and that's, what I, that's what I was saying before. It's like, don't just concentrate on the external. You have to dig a little deeper. And I'm, I'm just talking from an actor's point of view. You, you've just got to go deeper with it or, or else you're just not going to get it. Yeah, it's, uh, no, it's, um, I was working out with a trader at the time and he asked me about it because he had heard about the production. I hadn't encouraged him to go. I really not what his tastes were. And so and anyway, um, he was in a new relationship and he said, um, well, I had no idea that we were going to have to have that conversation afterward. But what it had done was it had brought up all the things about commitment, which is what they were doing. And I said, wow, I didn't even, you know, I think about that as company. He said, no, this is like, this is where you can end up. And these, these are the marriages you can end up in. And he said, they, it was a very interesting thing to hear someone who has no, who has very little context for Sondheim talk about the experience. So I do believe, I, I believe that with all Sondheim, if you can suspend your judgment and allow yourself to really go in there, it will reward you. Right. I hope so. It certainly has rewarded a lot of us. So, you know, <laughs> it's great to see you guys. Thank I you so much for joining us, everybody. Thank we'll you, talk Laura. to everybody soon. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. 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 Love you.